0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Got it? (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) It sounds okay. It sounds pretty loud to me. But if anybody has trouble, just wave, okay? So... How many of you are fairly new to practice? Nobody? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. What I'm going to talk about tonight is mudita. Do you know what mudita is? That's the Pali word. Um, In English, we... Translate it sometimes as sympathetic joy, empathetic joy, appreciative joy, joyful appreciation. It's the third of the Brahma Viharas. The Brahma Viharas, you know, are the sublime abidings, the four uh, qualities of the mind or states that we both cultivate and that arise as we practice. And they're considered, um, you know, the most wonderful states of mind. And they are, first of all, metta, or loving-kindness. Second, karuna, or compassion. Third is mudita, or appreciative joy, and fourth is equanimity. And I think for me, uh, and I know for others, mudita, the third, can be the most challenging, the most difficult, because mudita is about being happy for the happiness of somebody else. And sometimes that can be quite easy. Other times it can be quite challenging, a little bit like doing meta for the difficult person in your life. It can be quite, quite wonderful, but it can also be very, very challenging. So I'm going to talk a bit about... Uh, you might say, the hindrances or what gets in the way of being able to experience mudita and what supports it. Um, It's a quality that can naturally arise in some situations, but it's a quality that Needs a lot of cultivation in other situations. Um, sometimes, like this afternoon, I took my dog to a park and it was a big open park. It was, I don't know, one o'clock or something, nobody there. And he could romp and run and, you know, throw himself on the grass and roll and. He was having a good time. Now, it was easy in that situation for me to feel, experience Mudita. I was happy for his happiness, as, of course, I typically am. <laughs> it can be the same with children. You know, when you see children um, exploring or playing with each other and you Giggling and laughing and having a good time, it's very easy for that sense of mudita, that sense of delight in their delight to arise. And it commonly does. And so it's important for us to remember those times, remember the experience, because that helps support us in times when it may not be so easy. So as you probably know, Sharon Salzberg is the uh, <laughs> grand dame <laughs> of um, loving-kindness or, or the Brahma-Viharas. And she says that uh, or she, her chapter on Mudita is titled liberating the mind through sympathetic joy. When I first started practice back in 86, um, the term sympathetic joy was what I learned and that's what was seemingly always used. Then, uh, you know, it was thought that that wasn't such a great translation. Then it became empathetic joy. And I think that pretty well says it. It's the empathy, it's the ability to be happy with somebody. Sometimes it's referred to as just joy. And for me, that lessens the meaning. Um, There are a lot of ways to feel joyful, and joy, of course, is very important. But mudita is a specific kind of joy, And without the, you know, either empathetic or appreciative or something, adjective before, I think it loses some of its meaning. So, liberating the mind through mudita or sympathetic joy, what does that mean? What she says is that it challenges us it challenges many of our deep assumptions. Um, It challenges assumptions about aloneness, loneliness, um, even happiness. And it, she says, defeats the qualities of holding on to anger, fear, envy, jealousy, etc., So when we hold on to what we call the difficult emotional states, as we know, that contracts both the heart and the mind. And it's very unpleasant. When we can experience happiness or joy, there's an openness, there's a freedom. And so this is what she's talking about, liberating the mind, liberating the mind from the constriction of the difficult emotions and allowing the openness, the freedom, the happiness to arise. And she tells um, a kind of funny monkey story about this. She says, the Buddhist scriptures tell a wonderful parable about a kind of monkey trap. To make the trap, some tar is spread on the ground. A monkey then comes along and steps in the sticky tar. First, one little monkey foot gets stuck in the tar. In trying to free himself, the monkey puts down the other foot. Then it puts down one hand, then the other hand. (laughs) Finally, in a desperate effort to gain some leverage and get free, the monkey puts down its head. That is a very stuck monkey. This is just how those tormenting states of mind such as judging, comparing, discriminating, demeaning, envying, collude to get us stuck, to keep us stuck, and to make us miserable. Mudita can provide just that kind of opportunity to extricate ourselves from our stuckness, to be free enough from the tar traps in our lives to be happy. (laughs) So it's quite a visual we can imagine ourselves stuck in these very challenging, very unpleasant states of mind and be aware that the practice of, of mudita, the practice of delighting in other people's delight can help to free us from that stuckness. So what are some of these hindering states that keep us from experiencing mudita? One is uh, a belief, whether it's recognized or not, that there's only so much happiness to go around. And if you have X amount, then there's that much less for me. And so I have to guard my happiness and, and not be too free with it because then I won't have enough. And of course, that may sound silly, but if we watch ourselves, we can see sometimes how that operates. If, uh, you know, we experience uh someone who's happy and there's a little holding back on our part you know we're kind of oh yeah that's very nice but we're not totally uh, engaged with them we can look and see hmm, what's, what's keeping me from being uh, say as happy as delighted as with a dog or with children or something else the another one is a sense of jealousy or envy and sometimes i think this might be the most common <laughs> maybe maybe for me this is the most common one time many many years ago i was with a group of people and i can't remember the exact situation but i remember saying something like it's you know it's very difficult for me to feel that Whatever that happiness for that particular person, or, or, you know, something like that. And I remember how supportive it felt when people said, "Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. I can understand. I can understand that." Um, and of course, we're not wrong or bad for not being able at certain times to openly feel the, the happiness, the excitement for somebody else. That's important to remember. While at the same time, again, we can question ourselves, you know, what am I jealous about? What, what am I envious about? Sometimes it's there's some fear in us, of some lack, somebody else has um, uh, a great success, uh, <clears throat> and if it's in a field or an area that you know that I'm not involved in, then it might be very easy to feel happiness. You know, say sports or something. Somebody does something wonderful in sports and is very very happy. I can I can probably pretty easily be happy for that person. But as Maureen said, um, I just retired, Maureen. But I, for <laughs> for many years, was a marriage family therapist. So if another MFT somehow got lauded for something, that might be a little more challenging, you know, that's something that I could compare myself to. And um comparing, you know, is always a trap. <laughs> comparing is useless, but we all we all do it. But I again might feel, oh well, I'm not that good. I didn't get that award or kudos or whatever it was. Um, Of course, it's ridiculous. It's an illusion. Um, You know, somebody else getting an award for something has nothing to do with me. So it's a whole lot about this ego, me, myself, and mine, Nevertheless, of course, it happens. It happens to all of us. But if we can be mindful enough, if we can be aware and remind ourselves that somebody else getting an award for something really has nothing to do with us, and allow ourselves even just to try to open ourselves and be happy for that person, we can experience the freedom of the mind, of the heart, that comes from the willingness, the ability to do that. And the reality is the more we allow ourselves to experience happiness, as we probably all know, the more happiness comes to us. Happiness is not a finite thing. It is boundless, like the Brahma Viharas. The Dalai Lama says, when we connect with happiness, with the happiness of others, we increase our own odds for happiness to one is that right? One in seven billion. <laughs> if we consider there are seven billion people on this earth, we have seven billion chances <laughs> to increase our happiness. Yeah. So, quite the opposite. Instead of somebody else's happiness being in any way a threat to us or in any way taking away from us, we can see it as an addition, an expansion of our own happiness. And again, probably you've all experienced it. When you are happy for somebody else, there's happiness within us. Another block or hindrance can be judgment, Sometimes we judge what other people are <clears throat> happy or successful about. And we may think, well, that person doesn't deserve that, or I'm not going to be happy for that person. That isn't, that isn't uh, an important thing to be happy about or a worthwhile thing or whatever. Well, of course... <laughs> That, again, is rather ridiculous. That's expecting that people should see things and believe things and act according to our ideas, our rules. And that's just not uh, true at all. There's one caveat, though, that, that I have to say, and that the question always comes up. What if somebody is happy for something that is illegal, immoral? (laughs) Somebody's happy because they knocked off somebody. Well, of course, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. That's not what what we want to um, experience happiness for. So we're not... Losing our discernment. We're not giving up the ability to um, have discriminating wisdom. <laughs> uh, but that may seem natural, but the question does come up all the time. Um, but neither do we want to be so judgmental of. What or why somebody else is happy about something or successful about something, as long as it's it's you know perfectly um, okay, then far be it from us to decide whether that person should be happy or not. And that can be a stretch for us to be willing to open ourselves and be happy for somebody who's happy about something that wouldn't make us happy at all. That's sort of irrelevant. It's, it's the connection with the other person. It's the happiness for them that's important, not um, particularly the the reason that they're happy or successful. <laughs> it just it just occurred to me that uh, another example could be somebody that wins the lottery. And it could be very easy, couldn't it, for any one of us to be very judgmental about that particular person winning the lottery for whatever reason. There could be any number of reasons we would be judgmental about that. When probably underneath it all... (laughs) <laughs> would be our uh disappointment that we didn't win, so i've already sort of mentioned it, but another hindrance can be what we call in Buddhist practice conceit or comparing mind when we compare ourselves to somebody else. Um <clears throat> It's never helpful. (laughs) And it's foolish because each of us are our own selves. Each of us has our own abilities, attributes, um, our own strengths and weaknesses. And our weaknesses are ours. And they can be valuable. They can be great learning. So there's no reason to compare. That is not helpful at all. But of course, we do a lot of comparing, particularly in this culture, um, because there's a lot of competition in this culture. Uh, It's really part of our way of life, and it's so valued. You know, competition is considered really uh, good, necessary even, So it can be very easy to compare ourselves in a competing kind of way. Yet, we want to remind ourselves that it's not beneficial. In fact, it's harmful. And the reality is there can be no end to comparing. (laughs) We might compare ourselves to somebody one day and... You know, we come up glowing, <laughs> and then the next day we compare ourselves to somebody else, and we're tanked. Um, you know, it just goes, if we're going to do it, it goes on and on and on. And the truth is, of course, that we all deserve happiness. We don't earn it. Well, maybe we do in the sense that how we practice and how we cultivate our minds. But happiness is available to all of us. And it is something that just by being born, just by being human, um, we all deserve. And, you know, the Dalai Lama says, that's what we all want. We all want to be happy. So then it behooves us to do the things that create happiness and not the things that create suffering or push us away from happiness. Uh, another another hindrance and another block can be prejudice. thinking that we should feel happiness just for those we like, or those in our clan, or those in our family. Again, sort of like loving-kindness, you know, it's easy to um, think that, oh yeah, we can do loving-kindness for those very close to us. It's much more challenging to do it for people we don't know or ultimately for people that we don't even care for. But we want to remember that mudita, being happy for somebody else's happiness, is for everyone. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, if we could read the secret histories of our enemies, there should be enough sorrow and suffering to disarm all hostility. In other words, if we knew the suffering, if we knew the history of our enemies, um, we would be more understanding and we would have compassion. We all have suffering in our backgrounds. We all have suffering now, probably. And so, disarming the hostility we might feel towards somebody by understanding um, what their history has been. Demeaning is another hindrance. And demeaning means, you know, putting somebody down or um, uh, disqualifying or reducing the import, the impact of what somebody has done what, what has brought them happiness or success it's very similar to, <clears throat> to judgment, perhaps um, <clears throat> No need to put anybody down for whatever they have done. And then there's ill will, <laughs> avarice, uh, which you know we'd like to think we don't have, but tends to arise in all of us. Can be very shocking, it is for me when it arises. Fortunately, it's not too often, but when it does, you know, it shocks me, wakes me up, for sure. Um, And, of course, feeling ill will, even hatred for someone, would not allow us to feel happy for their happiness. So then our... um, Uh, our mindfulness, our awareness, our recognizing the feeling, and without blaming ourselves, without making ourselves bad or wrong, see it for what it is. Try to understand where so much ill will or so much hatred comes from, and do our best to let go of it. Sometimes it can be very useful to go back to an earlier stage. So what I mean by that? You may know that the Brahma-viharas are listed the way they are on purpose. Um, It's understood that each one builds on the one before. So if we're working on mudita, the third one, and ill will or anger or hatred arises— it can be helpful to go back to metta or loving-kindness and just do metta. We might do it for ourselves. We might do it for the person um, that we're having these feelings for and not expect ourselves right away to be able to be happy for their happiness. But do the practice of metta or loving-kindness for a while and then we can try the mudita again. All of this is done with great (laughs) self-compassion, you know. We're expecting ourselves to do something, to feel something, that the rest of society may not value. You may have already found this, that if we are following the Buddhist teachings, we often are going against the stream, against the grain of our culture. Many things are, um, are the opposite of what we hear all the time in our culture. And so a lot of compassion for ourselves when we try to practice something and we find ourselves coming up against um, our conditioning, coming up against what the society is putting out, is telling us all the time. I know many people uh, who are not practicing who will say, what in the world would you want to do that for? (laughs) Why in the world would you wish your enemy happiness or health or loving kindness? Why would you um, want to be happy for their happiness? You know, it's not understandable. And yet we know that doing these things, practicing these things, opens our hearts and brings us happiness. And so we do. it. So a little more about what helps us, what supports us with mudita. And... <clears throat> One uh, very important thing is understanding that happiness or joy is okay. It's okay for us to be happy. Sometimes in spiritual practice, people get the idea that we're supposed to be very solemn or very serious. And happiness is kind of frivolous. We don't say that in Buddhist practice. In Buddhist practice, it's understood, um, it's encouraged, that happiness is a very important part of the path. But sometimes we think then, well, it's okay for others to be happy, but it's selfish if I want to be happy. And of course, it's not. <laughs> It's not at all selfish, because the reality is, the happier we are, the more happiness we will put out into the world, the more we will spread happiness. So it's important to remind ourselves that happiness, joy, is important. It's valuable, and it's important, and it's okay for us to be happy, even even in the midst of great suffering. Even when things in our personal life or in the culture or the world seem really dismal, it's okay to be happy. It's okay, and we can find things that make us happy. We can allow ourselves to be happy When we experience beauty, (laughs) when we experience, um, you know, uh, uh, I love the piano, so to hear a great pianist can make me very happy. A great organ can bring tears to my eyes. And... um, I read something by uh, Oren J. Sofer. Does anyone know him? Buddhist teacher? I don't know him. But um, uh, where he suggests that, that we find these things that make us happy and experience that happiness because that increases our ability to practice mudita, to be happy, um, period. And then opening to be happy for somebody else. So finding what makes us happy, what brings us happiness and joy, and allowing ourselves to experience that. Another thing that's very supportive is gratitude and generosity. I almost never talk about one of those without the other because I think they go together so much. The more we are generous, the more gratitude seems to arise. And the more gratitude that we experience, express, the more generosity we can feel, we can... Practice, so practicing generosity, which again, like everything, can be a practice and it naturally arises, and practicing gratitude, um, again, increase our chances of happiness. And if you've ever done a gratitude practice, you can you will find that it's a wonderful, wonderful practice. Some people um, do it, you know, just before they go to bed at night, sort of review the day and remind themselves what they feel gratitude for, what has happened that makes them feel gratitude. And many of us find m- maybe there's a little slow start, but once we get going, it, <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. Um, for me, I find it's, you know, what starts it is something big that happened. And then the longer I go on, the more and more I get to the subtle things. You know, that little flower that was growing out of the crack in the cement. Um, you know, somebody that smiled at me. I experience gratitude and it grows. It grows. Kalyanamita, or spiritual friends. You know, the Buddha is reported to have said to his attendant Ananda that good spiritual friends were the whole of the practice. That's how important he felt that good spiritual friends were, are. And as I was saying... Oftentimes, this practice can be quite challenging and it can be very, very helpful to be in a sangha, to come to a place where other people are doing the same practice. It can be very helpful to have spiritual friends encourage us, sort of point the way, and also be very honest with us in a a loving way but help us to see where we might be, whatever, selling ourselves short, selling somebody else short. Um, That's as supportive as telling us how wonderful we are. So support comes in many different ways, and all of it can be helpful. I already mentioned compassion. Compassion both for ourselves and for other people. Compassion is very, very supportive to mudita, to um, empathetic joy. And realizing that ultimately our happiness and the happiness of others is not separate, it's all the same. We are all. So closely connected that when we're happy, it naturally affects other people. And when other people are happy, that naturally affects us. So that it really becomes happiness. Not my happiness or your happiness, but happiness. So. I'll just end with this quote. All the happiness in the world stems from wanting others to be happy. And all the suffering in the world stems from wanting the self to be happy. It's a quote from Shantideva. So, if we want to be happy, selfishly, you might think, then... We can wish for the happiness of other people and enjoy their happiness as our own. So we have a few minutes. What I'd like to do, unless somebody has a burning question. Does anybody have a... What I'd like to do then is guide you for just a few minutes in um, a metta-like practice for mudita. So it's really mudita practice, but in the same way that we do metta practice. So as we say, please be sure that you are comfortable. And if it's helpful, maybe close your eyes. And as with metta, we typically begin with ourselves. So with mudita, we're going to begin with ourselves. So bring to your mind something that you have done or experienced recently that made you happy. It can be big, it can be small. doesn't matter. And allow yourself to experience that happiness. Feel it as much as you can. And know that it's perfectly fine to feel happy. In fact, it's very good. Drink it in. Let it fill you with happiness. And then let go of that and bring to your mind a friend, someone you know, who has had an experience or a success or something recently that makes them happy. And allow yourselves, if you will, to feel happy for that person's happiness. And if something comes up that makes it a little more difficult, just notice that. And then let go of that and bring to your mind a neutral person. That is somebody that maybe you don't know well. Somebody you might see regularly but you don't really know them. Somebody you don't have strong feelings one way or the other for. Somebody you see on TV. (laughs) Somebody that you're aware has had something, some experience that makes them happy. And again, see if you can allow yourselves to be happy for that person, no matter what, what it is. now let go of that and bring to your mind someone for whom it's a little more difficult doesn't have to be your worst enemy but somebody for whom it's a little more difficult to be happy for their happiness and think of something that they might be happy for and challenge yourself to allow yourself to feel happy for them. And just see how it feels, see if you can, see what comes up. It's perfectly fine if we can't do it right now. The instructions are the same as with Meta. Keep doing it, even if it feels contrived. Keep challenging yourselves. And one day you'll feel it. now like with metta we want to include all beings so can you experience the happiness for all beings just open your heart in a way to allow the experience, the expression of happiness for all beings, no matter who, no matter where, no matter, they don't have to be human. Just an opening of the heart to allow happiness. And then when you're ready, allow your eyes to open and return your attention to the room. So, would anybody like to share or comment on that experience? Was it difficult? (laughs) Was it possible? I had a little bit of trouble seeing somebody that was experiencing happiness right in the moment. Like when it happens, I can do it. But I think that there might be a rash of people around me that are having trouble times. And so I had to be open to more subtle forms of happiness Mm -hmm. because I'm seeing a lot of turbulence right now. Mm -hmm. So that I had to light on something that somebody visited somebody and Mm -hmm. they had a lovely visit. Mm -hmm. But it was like, oh, wow. I'm, you know, I don't know if it's my personal filter right now or whether or not things are a little challenging right now and even... You know seeing something that isn't one of the more simple happinesses it it it, it wasn't entering my mind quickly. Mm-hmm. Good point, thank you, but you could find something, yeah, yeah right, yeah, I think we would all acknowledge these are difficult times, and um it might be more challenging to. Be aware of happiness, our own and other people's. But we can, we can find happiness even in the midst of great strife. It might be, it might be more difficult. We might have to look a little deeper. It might be more subtle, as you suggest. Mm-hmm. But that might make it even more valuable to find it yeah anyway mm mm-hmm.
2: Um just in these times that it uh it's it's sort of more important and that um um it, to not let everything going on in the world that we're perceiving yeah. to be sort of controlling our ability to do our practice. Mm-hmm. Um because it can sort of get washed away like a flood on some days. <laughs> right. Right, um, and
1: as you suggest, it's even more important yeah. to practice. Right,
2: and and more challenging. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to keep that balance, I think of awareness. We don't want to cover our eyes. We don't want to, you know, pretend things aren't happening. And at the same time, we don't want to overload ourselves, or. Um, you know, get so distraught that we turn off or tune out. <laughs> and, and that's a very challenging balance sometimes.
2: You know, one thing I, I found is that sort of being more activist than I have been in the past, that, the, that energy is much more um, sort of motivating in, in a way because you feel like you're, you're sort of countering uh, a, a lot of what's out there. Um, just personally, I was out canvassing a lot, and I just felt very energized by that by that process. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, by
1: the sense of doing something, yeah. of not just feeling helpless or overwhelmed or whatever.
0: Yeah. I have a comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question? Maybe. Um, So, I mean, in a sense, um, and what is the uh, the the term of the uh, the poly term? Mudita. Yes, mudita. Um, In a sense, you know, it's it, it may be very circumstantial, in the sense of it's a response to someone that is someone else's happiness. And uh, if people aren't happy, then um, uh, the circumstances are perhaps not uh, conducive or do not give rise to that possibility. Um, And I wasn't quite sure if what you were saying was that even in those circumstances, that we should somehow try to find something in another person that we can be happy for. Because that seems like a, to me that seems, uh, that seems really difficult and maybe counterproductive in some ways. The
1: practice is really about um, allowing ourselves to delight in or be happy for somebody else's happiness. <laughs> so in a way, it's it's two different things. Um, but along with what you're just saying, ultimately we learn in the practice that happiness is an inside job. That it's not about what's happening out here. And so in that sense, we can learn, we can practice being happy despite what's going on around us. Now, that is a challenge for sure. And we don't have to be happy with what's happening you know that's that's not the idea. But we can, especially when we get overwhelmed or we're feeling, uh, a lot of people feel a lot of despair, a lot of despondence. Um, we can find that happiness within us, and it's not a way of denying what's happening. But it's acknowledging that that we can be happy in ourselves despite what's going on so that we're not controlled our our happiness our internal happiness is not controlled by the events of the world that's a very important part of this practice and a very challenging part
0: but so um empathetic happiness is i mean it is circumstantial then
1: it can be sure sure Right. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is um, countering what can so often happen, which is not being happy when somebody else is happy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, Um, when it brings up some sense of lack or inadequacy or failure or something on our part. Yeah. That prevents us from feeling somebody else's happiness. Yeah. Thanks. It's a couple minutes after, so... (laughs) Lewis is my clock. (laughs) So let's stop, and um, I will hang around. But also, uh, dedicating merit, or offering merit is considered a part of the practice for mudita. So um, we typically on Wednesday morning when we have a half-day setting, we, we offer merit. We don't often do it in, in just an evening setting, but um, <clears throat> what we can do is offer any merit that we have accrued by our practice here together tonight for the well-being of all people, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, that everyone can be happy, can be safe, can be at ease, and can be free of their suffering. So thank you all.